Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over on Instagram at My Peace Corps Story, on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story, and as always, over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. If you are listening to this show right now on Apple Podcasts, stop, take a minute, and leave a review. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. Speaking of five-star reviews, I would like to give a special thanks to Crazy Kazi, who says, Love this podcast, five stars. I love this podcast. I've been nonstop listening to them for a week now, and I'm convinced now that I want to join the Peace Corps after college. Thank you for this wonderful and interesting resource for prospective PCVs. Well, Crazy Kazi, thank you for leaving a review. And uh, if you have any questions, uh, be sure to reach out. Send me a direct message on Instagram. That's one of the best places. So if you have any questions that haven't been asked or answered on one of these uh, podcast episodes, please let me know and I will see what I can do. On this week's episode of the podcast, I talked to a volunteer who served in the land of dragons. Where am I talking about? Indonesia. We talk about what it was like to serve in a country with more than 14,000 islands. I think you'll enjoy it. So without further ado, here's the My Peace Corps Story podcast. This is, this is, this is, this is my, my Peace Corps, Peace Corps, my Peace Corps, my Peace Corps story, story, story. My name is Abraham Kahasai and this is my Peace Corps story. Hey Abraham, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing well. Excited to talk to you about your time in Indonesia, a country that I don't know too much about other than the flora and fauna there. It seems as if Indonesia always ends up on the, the Nature Channel and those shows showing the amazing wildlife, but I don't know too much about the people and the culture there. So I'm excited to hear more about your experience as a volunteer there. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's also the largest archipelago in the world. I'm not sure if you knew that, but 14,000 islands, I believe. Wow. Yeah, it's it's pretty diverse. Mm-hmm. Well, when you were thinking about the Peace Corps, uh, what was your main driver for wanting to be a Peace Corps volunteer? How did Peace Corps even get on your radar? Uh, it was actually during college. We were in a study session with some friends, and we were discussing like plans for after college, and then somebody brought up Peace Corps. And by that time in my life, I had already heard about it, but I didn't really think too much about it. But now that I was coming up to the end of college, I figured I should probably look into it as something to do in case I didn't want to go straight back to school or go into the work field. Mm-hmm. And what about Peace Corps appealed to you? Well, one, the fact that you get to meet new people around the world, like you want to just stay in the United States your whole life. And two, 
I'm an Ethiopian American. Like uh, my background, like my family and culture is Ethiopian. So helping people is just something like I'm used to anyway. Like that's the way I grew up. You always help people out. And this seemed like a nice way to do that. Okay. Two very, very good reasons. Wanting to see more of the world, meet interesting people, and at the same time, help. Those were actually two, my two reasons as well, and probably many volunteers wanting a way to combine travel with a larger purpose. Right. And when you applied to Peace Corps, did you apply to serve as a volunteer in Indonesia, or did you apply more generally and you were open for anything? Uh, so at the time when I applied, they gave us the options. I don't know if you had the same thing, but I had like three three or five options of where I wanted to go. And at the time, Indonesia wasn't on there. It was Ethiopia, Africa the Caribbean, and then for my final option, it was the uh, anywhere in the world. Okay. And given the option to go to Ethiopia, where you your family originally comes from, uh, did you ever consider going back to Ethiopia, or did you say, no, I want something very, very different? Mm. If given the option, I probably would have gone. I I was given the option to pick where I wanted to go, but they gave me Indonesia. Mm -hmm. And what exactly were you doing there as a volunteer? I was in the education sector. So I was a middle school teacher at a local madrasa, which is uh, the Arabic word for school, but it was a, a middle school. Okay. And as a, a teacher there, did you have a specific t subject? Were you doing English or something more specific? Yeah, uh, I was doing English and I worked with two counterparts. And we, well, I worked with four, but my two main counterparts are who I did all my uh, trainings and working on um, coursework and everything together with the, the two main ones. But we were all English teachers. Okay. And as a teacher there, did you have a pretty normal work schedule? Because I was a, a volunteer that was doing agriculture, so my schedule was whatever I wanted it to be. I didn't have to report to any specific place at any specific time, but I know a lot of education and health volunteers have a more routine structure. So what was your day-to-day -day like? Okay, so in Indonesia, school is typically six days a week, Monday through Saturday. But the way my schedule was set up, I would only work Monday through Fridays and have weekends off. And, yeah, basically, like, uh, classes start at 7 a.m. every morning and finish around 1, 2 o'clock, just depending on the day. And on Fridays, which is like the holiday in Islam where they go to pray at the mosque, we would be done at 11. Okay. And how many classes did you teach during the day? Were they back-to-back -back classes or... Would you do a class in the morning, maybe two in the afternoon? Was it varied? Uh, it was actually varied. Like I would have some in the morning and some in the afternoon and some like later, like last class of the day. Because my counterparts and I, we weren't the only teachers. There are several subjects they teach at the school. So we just fit English classes wherever they could fit. Okay. And I assume you had a few other projects that were outside of teaching English 
uh, what were those? Uh, so I worked with a local nonprofit called um, Project Child. And uh, basically, I helped out there with uh, moving their stuff to a new building. And they were like a youth development program. It's run by a guy from Germany and local volunteers. And then now getting a sense of your community, you said Indonesia is the, the largest archipelago. Where exactly were you in Indonesia and what did your community look like? Was this a small rural village, a bustling city, something in between? Paint a, paint a picture for us. Okay, so my I lived on Java Island, like the island of Java, which is the main populated island in Indonesia. Out of 200 plus million people in Indonesia, 180 are on Java. So it's very crowded. <laughs> wow. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Uh, but where I lived was a small village called Punung outside of the main city called Pachitan. And it was in the east side of Java. And Punung was basically, it's like on a mountain near the beach, like on the south of Java Island near the beach, there's like a little mountain where I lived. And the people there were mainly Javanese, but they treated me just like them. And that's what I loved and miss about them. And what was your living situation like? So for Peace Corps Indonesia volunteers, we live with host families. I live with the host family, Pak. Katno, uh, Bu, Yanti, and their kids were grown and left the house already. So I was like their youngest child. Like their other kids were already gone, but I was their new child from America living with them. Mm-hmm. And living with the host family, did you have your own private room and then you shared the rest of the house with them? What was the setup there? Yeah, so the house, we all lived in one big house together, but I had my own private room like on the side. So if I needed my privacy, alone time, whatever, I would be in there. But most of the time, I would hang out with them. Mm-hmm. And were you eating your, your meals with them for all your meals, or did you have your own kitchen? No, we all, uh, I ate meals with them. We always ate together. We had the... <laughs> Every night, usually at the end of the day, we had like a family dinner time where we would eat dinner. Then we, the TV would be on, but usually me and my uh, host dad would be playing chess or playing games with each other. Okay. And what was, was there a typical dinner, sort of this standard Javanese meal that you would expect? So if I was invited over to uh, a, a Javanese household, what, what could I expect to maybe see on the table? <laughs> you can always expect to see rice on the table. Okay. So but the, a lot of rice. Oh, yeah. Plenty of rice every day. Three times a day, actually. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, that would always be rice. But the other stuff would always be different. It's never the same. Did you have any favorites uh, that you grew to love? Maybe something a little weird, exotic, that maybe Americans... Uh, may turn their nose up at? Mm. Well, there was two that I was very fond of. One is called nasi pichel, which it's basically rice with like vegetables or just depending on who makes it on top with a spicy peanut sauce. And my second favorite would have been durian. It's like a local fruit. I don't know mm. if people... It's been on 
news and like uh, documentaries and stuff, but it's very smelly. Like, mm-hmm. when you smell it, you wouldn't believe how terrible the smell is. But once you get past the smell and you eat it, it's delicious. Uh, I've had durian a few times. I also think it's delicious. What What would you describe the the flavor as? Because I've heard it described many, many different ways. Uh, it's kind of difficult. Um, I would say sweet i guess like the main thing i can remember is that it was sweet but like what kind of flavor it was i'm not sure mm-hmm. yeah it's it, got it a, had its, its got own a, flavor yeah it's got a lot of things going on it's got some kind of sweet banana s going on as far as like fruit a little bit custardy but then it's got this weird savoriness that also comes in there it's a it's a complex and unique fruit so if anybody if you if you ever have a chance to try it I definitely would. Just make sure you're holding your nose. Yes. And then in most places, I don't know, did they have rules in Indonesia, like certain places where you couldn't take it? Because I've stayed at hotels in Asia where they have large signs posted that you will be fined if you bring in uh, durian into the hotel and eat it. <laughs> I heard they're trying to do that in Australia too, like uh, ban durian. I personally never saw that, but then also I only ate it when I was at the village. We got it like fresh from the tree. Somebody would just climb the tree, cut them off, and there you go. <laughs> uh, that's that's the way to do it. Yes. <laughs> and do you have any favorite Peace Corps memories or stories that you like to tell about your Peace Corps service? Well, it, it ties into how much I like the people there, but... Um, the one time when I met my extended host family, I guess, like my host parents, other family members, we drove a long way. And when we got there, they were surprised, like, who is this? Who is this? And my host mom, at that point, we had grown close. She's like, this is my son. He's from America. And that's when I knew, like, okay, so, like, I'm home. This is definitely, like, it's working. I like it here a lot. A lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always special when there's someone says a comment like that, either that, oh, no, they, they live here, or no, they're my brother, or, they're they're actually part of the family. Uh, I had similar experiences, and it really makes you feel in- included, even, and it's definitely good as a volunteer, because I feel at least I was constantly reminded <laughs> that I was an outsider, uh, that I didn't actually belong. <laughs> so it was nice when you felt the opposite. Right. And being of Ethiopian descent, I'm guessing uh, you didn't look like, like they did in Java, but did you also come up against preconceived notions of what they thought Americans would look like? And did you have to sort of answer and explain, no, Americans are uh, anything and everything. Uh, we're not We're not just a bunch of uh, white people or African Americans. There are people of Ethiopian descent and all over the world who, who live there. Right. Uh, so the first part, um, I didn't look like them. But yeah, I didn't look exactly like a Japanese, but there's also... Um, people from Papua who live in Indonesia, like people know about people from Papua and they're called Orang Papua. And I look like them because they're like the, the black people of Indonesia. So oh. usually when people saw me, they thought 
No, he's not Japanese, but in, he's Indonesian. He's from Papua, so that helped me get away with a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and then the the second part about Americans. So the I guess the biggest problem I had there at the time was um, Indonesia is the most populous Muslim country in the world. So at the time, the election and current president stuff, explaining mm -hmm. that, that became like a chore. <laughs> Yeah, I can I can bet because they were they probably just got that all the time of all the sort of anti-Muslim and immigrant sentiments uh, coming from uh, our current president. Right. And it's just it's like when you have to explain that constantly, that can wear on you. Mm -hmm. Did you have any interesting uh cultural conversations around around that of the perception of islam in the united states uh, well i did explain there are a lot of muslims in the united states i have plenty of friends who are muslims in the united states and like well yeah it was just like it was difficult but i did explain there are plenty of muslims in the united states they also don't like the president and it's he's only in power for four years until the next election, basically. Mm -hmm. And what was something that you you struggled with during your service? One of those times that really challenged you as a volunteer. Okay, so during our mid service conference, I don't know how every like uh, post says it, but we call it the mid service conference. Mm -hmm. uh, my brother had passed away, so I had to leave. And going, I, I was here for two weeks for the funeral and to cope, be with my family. And then coming back, that was just hard. Just after experiencing that kind of loss and then coming back, like leaving again so soon, that was extremely, extremely hard. Mm -hmm. Well, first off, uh, I'm sorry for your loss, but uh, how did they welcome you back as as you left and how did you uh talk with them about the fact that you had uh lost your brother uh, they they welcomed me back with open arms that's like i had left this family i came back as family and they made sure that like they knew i'm with family even i lost the family member i'm still with family so the way they treated me with that it was very helpful Mm -hmm. And were you able to travel uh, around Java or Indonesia at large while you were there as a volunteer? Uh, yes, I and we're there for two years. And as teachers, we're expected to stay during school. But like school breaks, we were basically free. So, And also, Indonesia has a lot more public holidays than the United States. <laughs> I feel that that's most countries. <laughs> that's definitely what what I saw in Burkina Faso. It was felt like every other week was a reason to celebrate. They celebrated every single minor Catholic holiday, every minor uh, Muslim holiday, every reunion or anniversary of anything related to their country. Uh, they were they were always looking for a a reason to to celebrate. Right. And 
well, I guess it's the the same with Indonesia. They have they try to recognize all religions equally, even though Islam is the most populous. But they everybody gets off for Christmas. Everybody gets off for Easter. Everybody gets off for the um, Hindu and Buddhist holidays. And over the two years, did you have a holiday that was your favorite to celebrate? Mm, I guess it might sound strange, but uh, Idul Fitri, which which is the Indonesian way of saying Eid, Eid Mubarak. Because mm-hmm. for me, experiencing it for the first time, I'm Christian, but... Um, I experienced it there the first time. I actually did the Ramadan fast. I did the full fast for the whole month. And then at the end, when we had the celebration, it was like, I don't know. It felt like uh, trick-or-treating almost. Like we went to people's different houses. We ate, we sat, we talked. And this was my first time being there when I first got the site. So this is the way my host family introduced me to the village. And they would like be very happy. They would tell everybody like he's Christian, but he did the fast, and people are always impressed with that. Mm-hmm. And did you go to mosque with your your family as well, uh, even though you were Christian, just to take part of that community and experience that? Yeah, I went to one, and I sat and watched. Yes. Hmm. Uh. Did you? Did they always? Did they ever ask you to to come back or ask why you weren't going? Or were, did you ever feel any pressure from your your family or your community members to maybe take part in any of that? Or they were pretty pretty open and understanding. Oh yeah, they're pretty open and understanding. So like uh, just the fact that I volunteered myself the first year to go, they were so happy with. And then after that, they would never ask me, only if I wanted to. Hmm. And as a volunteer, uh, I know that you probably had a lot of free time, even though you did have the the structure of being a school teacher and having a pretty regular routine. But how did you spend your downtime? Uh, so we were not allowed to ride motorbikes. I'm, just, I'm sure you had the same rule. Mm-hmm. And in Indonesia, most people use motorbikes, so it's hard to like uh, get around. But we were given... Um, bicycles like actual bicycles so usually after school i would go and ride around my village and the surrounding areas then i would come home and sometimes i had like a it's called a less and it's private like uh english lessons with local village kids and then i think i sent you a picture of one of them it got to a point where i was having 40 come every week just for like free english lessons and uh i would also just I had a hard drive, so I had like books and movies on there too mm-hmm. for the extreme downtowns. Uh, yes, I had two hard drives. I think they were a terabyte each that I had loaded with movies, music, Kindle books, everything you can think of. I was pretty much a a walking library, blockbuster, Netflix. Uh, so I definitely shared those widely with fellow volunteers. Yeah, we every time we had a big meetup, like a training or something, we would always bring our hard drives and exchange new stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely recommend anybody who's listening, uh, who is a, like I say, soon to be Peace Corps volunteer, definitely bring a hard drive, uh, 
bigger is better. Uh, one that you can plug into your laptop, not something that you need a power source. Uh, that is something that will come come in handy. It really will. Like I was shocked how much downtime I had. I didn't think I would need that that much. Yeah, it's odd to think that I'm. I'm pretty sure I watched more movies in Peace Corps than any other time in my life, and still the vast majority of my time was out in my community doing stuff. It's not like I was uh, like uh, huddled in my my house watching movies, but I watched so many movies. Yeah, I'm. I wasn't a movie person until Indonesia. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then uh, your bicycle that you had from Peace Corps, uh, was it a like a, a nice new, because I had a, a nice Trek mountain bike that was given to me by Peace Corps, or was it more of a an older local style bike that you would maybe see in Indonesia? Well, because I lived on a mountain, I definitely, uh, they gave us a stipend to go buy one. So I picked one that was good for like, off trail mountain bike it was a mountain bike okay yeah it was very helpful yeah because i've i've heard of volunteers that were given older bicycles some like you that were given stipends but then they end up with these bicycles that are so so old and rickety that uh they don't get much use and i was we were very fortunate i think we were one of the last groups that had I mean, this was a really nice Trek mountain bike that was given uh, to us to ride around with. So I, I used and abused that bicycle. <laughs> yeah, I, I know I had to take mine to the shop a few times too. Mm-hmm. And what do you miss about your Peace Corps service? Uh Definitely the people like I, I'm still in contact. I still talk with people, but like, you know, physically being there versus over online is a difference. And I miss a lot of my students, actually. At the time when I was there, I had uh, I had grown close with quite a few. And now I want to know, like, what's going on with them or how they progress since I've left. And it, it's hard to find them. Mm hmm. And how long have you been back? Uh, about a year, right? Yes, over a year now. I COS in May 2018, and then I was in the United States for a few months, and then I left to Ethiopia. Like I went for a trip until December. Okay. Well, how has that readjustment been since being back in the states? Ah, uh, I guess it's kind of. Like, I didn't come right back into work or into school or anything, so it's given me time to slowly readjust. Uh, I'm still not used to AC. Like, I still bundle up if it goes under 90. But um, <laughs> I think for the most part, I'm I'm readjusted now. And now I'm going to school. Like, I have grad school next month, so I'm just waiting for that. Well, uh, congrats on starting grad school. Thank you. And do you have any tips or recommendation for those volunteers that are about to COS? I had it kind of easy for myself when I was leaving Peace Corps because I was doing Masters International, which has since then ended. But I did a year of grad school, then went and did Peace Corps, and then I 
came right back into grad school. So I left Peace Corps, and three weeks later, I was back at a university that I knew with professors that I knew. I didn't have to apply to grad school while I was in Peace Corps or apply to jobs or try to figure out and tell my parents that I was going to be moving back in with them and living in their basement. Uh, so <laughs> I, I had a I had an easy transition, but I know a lot of volunteers kind of struggle with that whole, okay, dang it, now i got to figure out the next thing. Do you have any words of wisdom for, for people? I would definitely say take it one day at a time. Like when we went there, the first time, like we had to take it one day at a time, like just to absorb the culture, absorb like the new atmosphere. Coming back to the United States after two years abroad and doing Peace Corps service, you're going to have to take it one day at a time. There's no way you can just, well, for most people, you can't just like seamlessly go back to the way it was. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that is good advice to maybe almost treat your coming back to the United States, how you approached your Peace Corps service, which sometimes people maybe don't think about because, hey, they're American. They're coming back to America. They should understand it. Should it should be easy. Yeah, they should just, you know, okay, same old thing. But no, there's a whole set of challenges because now you're seeing and confronted with stuff that maybe you didn't see in your normal life. You have new eyes and you experience things differently. Basically, you left one person, you come back uh, as a different person. Mm -hmm. and is there something that you learned in peace corps that has has stayed with you i mean you've only you've only been back a little bit but something that you know that you came back as you came back a different person what is something that you gained from your service uh something that i've gained well i always thought i was a patient person before like uh that stuff wouldn't bother me but like after doing two years of service there's like i thought i was patient before but no i am way more patient than i expected i could be and i i I appreciate it like the the patience has helped like when you're applying for school or job and you have to wait for a long time i'm not freaking out i'm just going and do something else while i wait (laughs) yeah yeah if it uh you start getting used to maybe waiting on transport for a few hours when you told it would be a few minutes, uh, your your perspective right. shifts a little bit. All right. So, so true. Like a, a one-hour car ride somewhere is nothing compared to a 10-hour bus ride on a dirt road. Mm-hmm. And is that how you got around most of the time on, on old rickety buses by barreling down dirt roads? Mm, no, not really, but... Uh, because Indonesia is more green, so it was like a, it was green like everywhere I went. So the bus ride, even if it was long or like the road wasn't great, I always did have a good view, and that helped. Just like watching rice paddies and all that kind of stuff while I'm driving by. Mm-hmm. And as I said at the beginning, my only knowledge of Indonesia, well, I did know that it's the, the largest uh, or most populated Muslim country, uh, but the animals, did you have any experiences uh, with exotic animals while you were over there? Mm, oh, yes. Uh, so I'm sure everybody knows Komodo dragons. They're mm-hmm. originally from Indonesia, an island in uh, 
in the west of no no east of indonesia so i went out there and i got to see komodo dragons like up close live and that was exciting it looked like godzilla doing push-ups like the way they look like Mm-hmm. yeah i've i've seen them in a zoo but uh Never, never seen them in person, but I have seen those videos of people when they go to Komodo Island and seeing these massive lizards. It's kind of crazy to think that those are the the top predators on this ecosystem, or these big giant, well, big giant lizards, tiny little dinosaurs. Right. Uh, luckily, when we went, most of them were just like laying around and just chilling. They weren't excitable or anything, but. I've seen them, how fast they can move, and I believe they're top predators. Yeah. Uh, well, is there anything else that you would like to share with us about your time in Indonesia? Maybe something that people should should know about the, the country that you called home for two years, or advice for anyone interested in the Peace Corps, anything under the sun? Uh, what would you like us to know that we haven't really touched on? I I mean, I've said it before, but just like the people there, they can really, uh, anywhere you go in the world, it usually depends on the people, how much you're going to like it. And Indonesia, minus everything else, if it was just the people, like I was still would have loved it. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for letting us know that the people are so amazing in Indonesia. Uh, I've had a, a great time learning a little bit more about your service, sort of getting a sense of maybe what it would be like to, to be uh, an English volunteer in Indonesia to close out the show. Do you have a favorite quote or local saying or phrase from your, your time uh, as a volunteer? <laughs> so i mean there's if you ask any indonesian volunteer they all have their own personal favorite i'm assuming but mine it's not an actual like a uh, real quote or saying but it's basically uh kopi tampa gula which is saying i want my coffee black without sugar which it just like the stares i got when i would say that was just very funny like looking back like people didn't believe it they couldn't believe it uh well, I believe it because I got the exact same thing. I'm a, I'm actually drinking black coffee right now while I'm talking to you, but I did the very same thing in Peace Corps, and they were like, what? You mean you don't want it with a ton of sweetened condensed milk or sugar? I mean, they would turn it into like a, a liquid candy bar that made a Starbucks drink look like a health drink uh, the way that they drank their <laughs> coffee. So they were always amazed. Like, wait, you want to drink it black? And it's like, yes, that's nothing else. So I, I totally get that. <laughs> yeah. And it's just amazing. Like I did get my, uh, host dad to try it once. Like he usually drinks his coffee, like sweetened with something, but I got him to try it one time without anything, just black. And he spit it out. <laughs> Yeah, were were you able to get? I guess they they grow coffee in Indonesia, but were you able to get like pretty good coffee, or were you drinking like the instant Nescafe coffee? <laughs> so yeah, if you talk to anybody who knew me in Indonesia, they would tell you how much I did not like the coffee because it was like the Nescafe instant mixed with the water kind of thing. 
They mm-hmm. do grow like the local like Javanese and all that kind of coffee, but it's for export mostly. Like you wouldn't see it locally. It's usually exported. Yeah, I did you find that frustrating because we were right next to Cote d'Ivoire which grows a lot of coffee and a lot of chocolate, but it was almost impossible to find good coffee and good chocolate in Burkina. It's like, how? You're right next to a country that grows it. (laughs) (laughs) Why can you not get some of it? And yeah, as you said, it's for export. It's for European and American markets uh, where they can get a lot more money. Right. Which, I mean, I don't blame them. Like they got to get their money somehow, but Oh, one local coffee I did like was uh, Taraja. Like there's an island called Sulawesi in an area called Taraja. And the coffee there was excellent. Like I was kind of surprised. All right. Well, good good that you had some some good coffee. I know that that's always a one of those things that a lot of people that I've interviewed or talked to said was one of their favorite things to get in care packages, getting a good thing of coffee also, I recommend that people bring a, a French press or something like that with them on their service if they're, if they're coffee addicts like myself. Uh, but once again, uh, thank you for taking a little time to, to talk with me and share about your service. Uh, thank you for reaching out. I didn't even... Uh, actually, one of the people you interviewed before led me onto this, so that's why I reached out, and I'm happy I did it. Yeah, it's always good to reflect a little bit and and talk about your service. And also, I think it gives a good opportunity for you to kind of share it with your friends and family in a way that's easily approachable that you can just say, hey, come listen to this podcast. And like everybody else, they can turn it on while they're commuting or doing chores and, and learn a little bit more about two of the most important years of your life. Right. And Basically, third goal, right? <laughs> uh, third goal to the extreme. I like to uh, tell myself that uh, I'm I'm knocking third goal out of the park. I may have not done uh, my best at goal one uh, while I was a volunteer. I don't know how much change it made, uh, but I'm definitely killing it on goal three and helping others do the same. Right. Thank you. Uh, thank you. And there you have it, another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to so you can get a new episode when I release them every single week. If you are a current or return Peace Corps volunteer who wants to come on the show and tell their story, head on over to MyPeaceCorpsStory.com, find one of those various buttons or links that says share my story, share your service, Uh, click it, fill out that form, and I will be in touch. Until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours?